the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. If, if you're just going through the religious motions and traditions and doing things because somehow you think, well, God will be impressed by this, all, all the while you're sinning and you're, and you're rebelling against the Lord. He's not, it's not like balancing the scales. Well, if I just you know, fast a lot and go to church a lot and, and do this a lot and, and, and tithe, and, get, and then God is going to be more impressed and he'll overlook some of the other stuff in my life that is in rebellion against him. God, God doesn't look at, at things like that. What he wants from us is wholehearted devotion. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Do you ever find yourself going through the motions of obedience without truly connecting with God? It's easy to fall into the trap of just checking off boxes on a spiritual to-do list. But as Pastor Gary talks about in today's message, God desires more than just our actions. The Lord wants us to truly seek Him and to let Him shape our hearts. When we seek God in this way, we open ourselves up to a deeper level of relationship with Him. We experience the joy of knowing that we are truly loved by Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, as he begins his message, Soul Fattening, the Discipline of Fasting. We're here in Isaiah, chapter 58. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and let's pray first before we read, and then we'll get into this chapter today. Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be in your house, and it's good to be able to gather together, and I thank you, Lord, for all those here, and those who are watching online. And as we just open up your word today, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be open to what you would have to say to us. Lord, so often you're speaking to us, but we don't incline our ear and we don't listen and we don't do what you tell us. So help us, Lord, that we would be focused and that we would just put aside everything else that clutters our mind right now and we would just open our hearts to you and to your word and what you would have to say to us. And we're thankful for the opportunity to gather, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if... They were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. 
They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. and You will cry for help. And he will say, here am I. Well, you may have noticed as we read through this uh, first part of chapter 58, how often the word fast or some form of that word appears here. It appears more times in Isaiah 58 than in any other passage in all of the Bible. Now, the context of Isaiah 58 is a rebuke from the Lord because the Jewish people were fasting improperly. They were fasting as a matter of a religious ritual rather than what they should have been doing is fasting as a matter of seeking the Lord and drawing near to Him. And to make matters worse, not only were they fasting as just a matter of a religious ritual, but while they're fasting, they're also sinning and rebelling against the Lord. That's the first part of this chapter. God says, you know, you're drawing near to me. You're going through all these religious exercises and all these practices, but at the same time, you're sinning against me. You're rebelling against me, and you're ignoring the needs of your fellow countrymen who are suffering from poverty and injustice. And and he's basically going to say here to them as a matter of a rebuke, if you were really fasting and seeking me in the right way, shouldn't, shouldn't it be evidenced by the way that you're living? But the fact is, you're, you're living in rebellion against me, and your fasts are, are, are only spiritual little exercises, and, and, and they are uh, incomplete and improper. You know, look, the Jewish people basically thought at this time in their history that God would be more impressed by the fact that they were fasting than he would be upset with them for sinning. And how many of you understand that God is never interested in spiritual activity if it doesn't come from a heart of sincerity, right? If if you're just going through the religious motions and traditions and doing things because somehow you think, well, God will be impressed by this, all all the while you're sinning and you're you're rebelling against the Lord, he's not, it's not like balancing the scales. Well, if I just, you know, fast a lot and go to church a lot and and do this a lot and and tithe and and then God is going to be more impressed and he'll overlook some of the other stuff in my life that is in rebellion against him. God God doesn't look at at things like that. What he wants from us is wholehearted devotion and, and he's not impressed by the spiritual activity and religious rituals. He wants our hearts. 
He wants our hearts. Now, if out of the overflow of a heart seeking the Lord, we then are people devoted to Him, and as a result, we like to go to church, we like to tithe, we like to fast, we like to pray, then, then okay. But if, if the mindset is, if I do all these things, somehow God will then be impressed and overlook the sin in my life, well, we're just deceiving ourselves. And that's what's happening here. And so God is rebuking them here in chapter 58, and, he, and He's calling them to a proper idea and understanding and practice of fasting, of fasting. Now, fasting is mentioned not just by word, but in terms of examples, 77 times in the Bible. Fasting is mentioned 77 times in the Bible. And in Scripture, there are examples of partial fasts, complete fasts. There are examples of national fasts, when kings would call a nation. There are examples of congregational fasts. The Bible does not dictate how long a particular fast should last. There are examples in the Bible of one-day fasts, three-day fasts, seven-day fasts, 21-day fasts, and 40-day fasts. And there are many examples of people who fasted throughout the Bible, and I'm just going to rattle off a few examples uh, for us. Moses. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while he was receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord, Exodus 34. King David fasted when his son was dying and sick. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout Judah for victory over their enemies in 2 Chronicles 20. The prophet Joel called for a fast to avert the judgment of God. The king of Nineveh, in response to Jonah's preaching, declared a fast throughout the land in Jonah chapter 3. Queen Esther declared a three-day fast for all the Jews prior to risking her own life by, by approaching and speaking with King Xerxes uninvited. That's in Esther chapter 4. In the New Testament, the prophetess Anna, she was there fasting and worshiping, and in her old age, she was always hanging out at the temple, and she proclaimed the birth of Jesus in the temple. She fasted, Luke chapter 2. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The early church fasted before sending off Paul on his first missionary journey. Paul fasted before appointing elders in the church, Acts 14. And on and on, many different examples in the Bible of people who regularly, at different times and for certain periods of times, fasted. And yet, fasting is one of the least practiced and rarely taught of the spiritual disciplines. Fasting is mentioned more times in the Bible than is water baptism. But yet, how many of us practice fasting with any regularity? And how often have you heard a sermon on the topic of fasting? Uh, Richard Foster, the author of Celebration of Discipline, said that in his research on fasting, so the Celebration of Discipline is a, is a pretty good book, and he, and he writes on different subjects about the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, and one of the subjects is fasting in his book. And in his research preparing for his book, he found that from 1861 to 1954, almost 100 years, there was not a single publication, paper, book, or anything written on the topic of fasting. From 1861 to 1954, it's, it's, it's an amazing, you know, avoidance of an important subject. John Wesley, an 18th century preacher and evangelist, 
said, quote, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. Why is it that this subject of fasting is so rarely practiced and even less often taught from the pulpits? And I think the answer is because we have a love affair with food. Let's just be honest about this. We have a love affair with food. So who, who really wants to practice fasting? And, you know, as someone who loves food myself, who really loves to teach about it, right? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Now, you know, thankfully, I, I got my dad's metabolism, so I can eat. I can't quite eat everything like I used to, but, you know, I can still pack it in pretty good and, 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 and still fortunate enough that, you know, my metabolism still, you know, takes care of, of most of it. But I, I'll, I'll be honest. I love food. I love a good steak. I love snow crab legs, fried chicken, corn on the cob, rolls, butter, ice cream. <laughs> now, don't, don't get me wrong. I like a good salad, too, as a side dish to whatever animal happens to crawl up on my grill. <laughs> but let's be honest. We have a fascination with food, particularly in our culture. We love food, and we plan a lot of things around food. I mean, we, we plan our days around food. We have business meetings around food. We invite family and friends over for food. We have holidays that, that we make sure we have food when we celebrate the holidays. That said, there is still this importance of understanding what fasting is all about. And so since chapter 58 of Isaiah is basically the fasting chapter of the Bible, more references in this chapter than any other part of the Bible... I'm going to use it today as a launch pad for this topic, and I've entitled the sermon, Soul Fattening, the Discipline of Fasting. Now, that's not original to say soul fattening. In fact, that's what the Puritans, the New England Puritans in the 17th century, that's the term that they coined for fasting. They said fasting is soul fattening because when you deny yourself physical food for a limited period of time, and you couple that with drawing near to the Lord and seeking Him and praying, it does something to diminish the cravings of the physical and heighten the, the nourishment of the spiritual. And thus, in practicing fasting, it fattens our soul. It nourishes our soul. And so it, it's a wonderful discipline that the Bible speaks well of, uh, not in a mandatory sense, but in, in a sense that there are many benefits to us uh, if we were to practice fasting. There's, there's just something about starving the physical that heightens the spiritual. And in denying the flesh something it craves, it feeds the spirit something it needs. And where we really need to begin with this study, even though I'm, I'm almost halfway through it, is a, a working definition for biblical fasting. So here it is. Biblical fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for a limited period of time for the purpose of drawing near to God. And let me just share with you a few bullet points as to what it's not. All right, when we talk about biblical fasting, it's not a Christian diet plan. Okay, now you may in fact lose some weight when, if you fast for a very uh, long period of time, uh, but it's not intended to be, you know, a Christian diet plan. 
Uh, it's also not supposed to be a, a ritual to show that you are more spiritual. You know, well, I, I fast. Do you fast? Well, no. I, well, I do, you know, and, you know, that kind of a thing, all right? And it's not intended to punish the flesh, all right? It's not, it's not this, you know, self-flagellation, like, like, you know, you despise yourself or something, and so I'm just going to fast and, and just really torment my body. That, that's not the purpose of fasting either. And it's not required. It, it's not commanded in the Bible. We are not dictated by God to fast. That said... The Bible does tell us, Jesus specifically, that it is expected and it will be rewarded. That's, that, that, that isn't a contradiction. It's not required, but I'm going to show you in Matthew's gospel where Jesus speaks of it as basically expecting that we're going to do it anyway. So the first place I'll take you, you can just listen or you can turn there, is Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Now, the background of Matthew 9 is that some of John the Baptist's disciples they fasted as a regular discipline. The, the, the Jewish Pharisees would also fast as a regular spiritual discipline. And in Matthew chapter 9, some of John the Baptist's disciples seek Jesus out, and they ask him, why don't your disciples fast? Because they noticed that the 12 that Jesus selected don't fast. And so in Matthew 9, they ask him that in verse 14, and Jesus' answer is verse 15. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? You know, who's the bridegroom? Jesus, right? Because he, he uses this analogy in Scripture of he's the bridegroom and, and the church is the bride, and that he loves us and he sacrificed for us and he died for us. And, and there's all this marital language also when he talks about how in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will receive you again unto myself that where I am, there you, you might be also. That's all ancient marital language. Because when a couple in ancient times would get married, the first thing that the husband would do is to go build a room or an extension onto his father's house so that then he could come back and receive his bride and take her to be with him. And so all of that is marital language. And in the Bible, Jesus is is portrayed as like the groom and we are like the bride and he loves us and died for us and sacrificed for us. So Jesus says here, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? Then he adds, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Okay, Jesus will die, he will rise again, and then he will send back into heaven. And that's where Jesus is right now, presently at the right hand of the Father. There will come a time when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. And Jesus speaks of it as it's an expected thing. Because when he's not physically in their presence with the disciples... And, and since he's not physically in our presence, because he's now ascended back into heaven, then there is this need that we have to seek him. And, and the way that we seek him is through prayer. But then there can be this added intensity of seeking him through fasting. And Jesus says, when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. He expects it. And he rewards it. If you're in Matthew's gospel, go back a, a few chapters to chapter 6 and verses 16 to 18. Jesus is speaking about fasting here in this passage, and he, and he begins by saying this, when you fast, notice, not if, there's an assumption that Jesus believes that his followers will at times fast. So he doesn't say if, he says when, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, again, not if, when you fast, 
Put oil on your head and wash your face. Now, in, in ancient times, that's just basically, in other words, look, look like you normally do. They would use oil to, you know, as kind of like hair gel kind of a deal, right? And so they would, and they'd make themselves look nice. And so he says, don't, don't disfigure yourselves. So everybody can figure out that you're fasting. He says, you're doing this unto the Lord. So go ahead and do your regular routine. Put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in, in Jesus' own words, he communicates, though it's not required, it's not commanded, it's desired, it's expected, and it will be rewarded. Now, let me just throw this in because I think it's important to say as a medical disclaimer, there are some people who can't fast, particularly people who struggle with diabetes or uh, pregnant women. It's not advisable for some people. And so if in doubt, you need to consult your medical doctor because, you know, again, it's not required. So don't feel like this is obligatory. And so you need to make sure that you are physically able to fast before before you do this. Uh, But if you are able to fast... There are some benefits to fasting, and I'm going to share just five that that I see throughout Scripture. Five benefits to fasting. And here's the first one. There's a freeing benefit when we fast. Uh, If you have your Bible still at Isaiah 58, I want to point out verse 6. And if you don't have it there, just listen. Here's what verse 6 says of Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Colon. And then God is going to explain, here's the type of fast that I've chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. That's Isaiah 58, 6. And in in that one verse, you see several different phrases. I think there's four, actually that have to do with this emphasis on being free. Loose the chains, untie the cords, set free the oppressed, break every yoke. You see that in that language there, God is deliberately choosing these words to explain that part of the benefit of fasting is there's this freeing aspect There's the breaking of things. There's the loosening of something that has us bound. Sometimes there are sin strongholds in our lives that take us captive. Patterns or addictions, things that that hold us captive in our flesh that need to be broken. Listen, even Christians need to understand this. When a Christian gets saved, your spirit is regenerated, but your flesh is not. That's why you get a new body. This body is going to eventually die, return to dust. We get a glorified body because the flesh... And the appetites of the flesh, though not all appetites are sinful, but the appetites of the flesh, many of which are sinful, will constantly be warring with our spirit that has been regenerated. So within the same person is this conflict, the spirit that wants to please God, the flesh that wants to please self. And your flesh and my flesh always wants to rule, always. Your flesh always wants to dominate your spirit, always. And every Christian needs to understand that the battle is real and the battle will be constant until the day we die and we shed this body of flesh and get a new body and are with the Lord, all right? Then those appetites will all be aligned and because we won't have the struggle of the flesh versus the spirit. Until that day, there are certain sin strongholds that many people struggle with. And I've met with enough people over the years of ministry to know 
that sometimes the best remedy for breaking addictions or sin strongholds is a period of fasting. There is something that happens in our spirit that is strengthened by the denial of food for a limited time while we seek the Lord. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.